this show is the only one on the web exclusively covering xylophone hammers. No, just kidding. This show is the only one on the web exclusively covering xylophone hammers. No, just kidding. That's coming back. Only one on the web. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Doing great. How about you? Doing all right. This is Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Sally. It's Chris. Hello. I finally hear your voice. How are you doing? I am good. Good. All right. I'm going to flip some switches a moment, and then we will be officially on the live feed. Okay. And switches are getting... Flipped. There's some applause from our live <laughs> studio audience, which is Yay. not real. Oh, feel the dream. Yeah. Okay, so we're live. We are live. Excellent. Hey, hello. Hey, everybody listening live. Um, thanks to a miss key while you were typing in that URL to find your favorite gremlin dish, you've ended up on Montreal sauce, not Mogwai sauce. <laughs> so. If this is your first time listening to the show, uh, just let you know that uh, this show is the only one on the web exclusively covering xylophone hammers. No, just kidding. So, uh, yeah. So, Paul and I use the uh, fantastic power of the web to connect us all the way from uh, Western Canada to Western Michigan so we can talk tech and entertainment and the web. And tonight, as you may have well heard already, we are lucky enough to have Sally from SallyNK.com with us. And, and I'm actually in Pensacola, Florida. Yes, we have a new connection. I was just thinking today that we, I should probably uh, drum up a little map and put in like cheesy pushpins like, on the <laughs> places of people we've talked to. Well, if you're going to do that, we have to have like a nice um, you know, Indiana Jones uh, montage of people flying different places on the map. Ooh, yeah, the little dotted line. I yeah. Like <laughs> yes. Sally is actually uh, from the area that I grew up, Muskegon. And That's right. She was um, one of my very first tweeps along with Paul, one of my very first Twitter friends. And I think that was about, about six years ago. <laughs> yeah. So when I, and Right when I moved back, I moved back to Muskegon from Lansing, Michigan. And I think you were, we were, you're one of my first Twitter friends. It was right when I joined Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I was like looking for local people because everyone I knew on Twitter was from somewhere else. And I was like, yeah. hey. Yeah. yeah. So, unlike a lot of those other uh, professional public radio shows that introduce their guests, I'm going to go ahead and let you tell everyone about yourself. What do you do, Sally? All right. Um, well, I am an um, independent clothing and accessories designer, and I make everything and design everything from recycled materials. Um, in my little sweatshop home office in uh, Jacksonville, <laughs> Florida, um, I started. I kind of started about I don't know nine years ago unofficially when I was a, um, a freshman at Michigan State, and I would hand out flyers to underneath everyone's dorm room and say "Alterations by Sally," and with my dorm number on it and my phone and my cell phone number. And then about six years ago. I started it officially as a business, and I've been full-time for a little over, I'd say maybe two to three years full-time, and uh, so now I have a mobile boutique. I'm the only handmade one in Jacksonville, Florida, and I set up at a local arts market 
and uh, sell everything every Saturday and sew all week. So everything is, you know, everything from uh, handmade accessories and clothing to um, uh, a little bit of everything, kind of whatever I feel like making <laughs> that week. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no, I've noticed as I've followed you uh, throughout the years that we've been friends, it's always... What I find interesting about uh, your work is it, it really is like an art because, um, you know, I've gone to plenty of uh, art fairs like the Ann Arbor one in Michigan mm-hmm. and, you know, the Muskegon has a very big one during the events and things like that. And there's a lot of like sort of lifers and career folks where mm-hmm. they find something that sells and they ride that reproduction wave as yeah. long as they can. And, and you, like your site, every time I go to Etsy, there's like, oh, now I'm doing lingerie. It just seems like yeah. you seem to be inspired <laughs> by the f- materials you get. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, as as I change and as I evolve, you know, as I become a different person over the years, you know, and I, I've grown up a lot in the last six years since I've been, you know, officially selling in as a, as a company. You know, I've, I've changed a whole lot. And so for a good two and a half years, I only did lingerie and, and that was, it was great. And I'm coming back full circle to handbags, what I started out doing. And actually funny you mentioned the Muskegon Art Fair. I'm wearing a ring right now that I bought there about you know, <laughs> five years ago. Um, but it's, it's great doing those markets and, you know, so many vendors will, do the same thing for years and years and years. And it's, you know, you go back to their booth five years later and it's the same product. And I just, I'm, I'm too, I I can't sit and do the same thing over and over again. It's like, you know, one day I'll make my head wraps, the next day I'll do purses, next day I'll do clothing. And, you know, I I, I guess I'm just, you know, super ADD and I can't sit still and (laughs) (laughs) the same thing. So it's great to constantly be able to evolve, and that's why my business is my name and not like Sally Ann purses or Sally Ann clothing. It's you know, it's what you know, whatever I feel like making, and and that's, that's what makes it fun, and that makes it like more of an art form than you know actually having to stick to one thing. So, do you ever get um, pushback on that? Like, you get someone who comes to your uh, mobile boutique one day, and then you have something different, and they're like, oh, "I really like this. Can you make me another one?" <laughs> Oh, yeah. Actually, um, last weekend, a, a woman came, about two weeks ago, she came to my booth. At, um, it's called the Riverside Arts Market. It's in, uh, in Riverside in Jacksonville. And she wanted something she could put her wallet in when she did yoga. So I made this sarong-style wallet that she could put her, um, her ID and her you know, little mini wallet in while she did yoga. And I think I'm going to start making a bunch of those now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it, it's always changing. That's what makes it fun and interesting. I don't have to, you know, do the same thing. Cause that, that's what it becomes no fun when it's, you know, I have to make, you know, a hundred of these or 50 of these. It's, you know, I do what I want and that's why I love my job. And if I don't like it, then it's not worth doing. And, you know, who wants to have a job they don't like? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I forgot. I need to uh, also thank you for joining us because you're oh, on yeah. vacation today, I, right? <laughs> I am actually. Yeah, I just got uh, drove. Uh, woke up early this morning and drove five hours over to Pensacola in uh, the Gulf of Florida. And yeah, I just got out of the swimming pool about twenty minutes ago, and we took the pontoon boat down to a, a place in uh, Pensacola Beach and came right back so I could be here with you guys. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sitting in um, my boyfriend's best friend from high school in their parents' condo um, on the intracoastal waterways in, I can't remember this little town right outside of Pensacola. 
It's beautiful though. The sun's going down, and we're right on the water, and it's really oh, awesome. How's Canada? Canada is very warm today and yeah. very sunny. Very sunny because I'm two hours behind both of you. So <laughs> I, I was, was I was one, I was trying to figure out what your time difference was because I'm actually on Eastern time now that we got into the Gulf. So I'm a little off as well. I'm used to it being nine o'clock, but it's eight o'clock for me now. Yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite it's been a, a really difficult adjustment, and part of it is probably because I'm also getting older now. So I, <laughs> I feel like uh, my grandfather and uh, my father, where it's just like I wake up at six a.m. and I just tell myself, "Oh, that's the two hour time difference that my body hasn't gotten used to for the last three years." <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you've still got family in Michigan, too, so you kind of stay on track with that time, don't you? Just so that you can a little bit stay in touch with them? Yeah, that's been... What What happened is when I met my wife online and we were always talking, like I was trying to acclimate myself to the time zone here. Okay, I can't call her now because, you know, she's still at work or something like that and I'm at home. And so then when I moved here, that was like a tremendous, like mind shift in my brain it was like i always knew the other direction so then i'd be like oh i guess i should probably call my mom i haven't talked to her in a while and then i'd be like oh it's not five o'clock there it's nine o'clock there (laughs) (laughs) right so you're so so right now it's uh four o'clock for you it's seven it's seven okay so you're so that's to say okay yeah okay that's confusing it is (laughs) and then one of one of my best friends moved to Arizona, but wherever he lives, they don't do daylight savings at all. So sometimes he and I are on the same time, and sometimes we're not. <laughs> That's my, my sister used to live in Japan, and it was the same thing. Like at certain times of the year, they were four hours behind, and certain times they were five or maybe, you know, something like right, that. Right. And it was, I would just call her, and she's like, Why are you calling me? Early in the morning, I'm like, oh, I know what time it is here. And and the great thing is, from their perspective, they're like, we're just always the same time. Why can't you just be consistent? Quit changing your clocks, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it it gets gets really confusing. So uh, now that uh, you've been uh, tooling around Florida and uh, you were in Georgia before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, moved. Actually, it'll be... Uh, on Halloween, it'll be five years since I left Michigan. Wow! Which uh, I, I can't believe it's been that long. It's very, it's kind of surreal. I feel like I just left, but um, I've been in Florida a little over a year. Uh, my boyfriend, his job relocated us down to Jacksonville. Um, we and he and I met in Augusta. So um, yeah, Florida's great. It's um, it's warm. It's not as hot as it was last summer, though, thankfully. But there's no snow, which I really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> After countless years in Michigan, just, you know, especially in Muskegon, where it's, you know, 12 inches every day for, what, three or four months? Lake Roughly. effect. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, so. and we just came off of, like, the worst winter that we've had in in multiple years, I think Lake Michigan was like nine more than ninety percent iced over, which is uh, which was a record of some kind going back wow. multiple decades. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's nuts. I, I, my um, my mother tells me it was like the last time it was that bad was the blizzards of seventy eight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I remember those pictures. I didn't yeah. I wasn't around then, but I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> it's I crazy. Swear. Yeah, my, my dad would call me every day and he just retired and he would he goes to my mom's house and and shovels the you know, snowballs the driveway, goes to my brother's house, snowballs the driveway, goes to my sister's house, snowballs the driveway, and does his yard. And it's I'm like, I'm I'm not wearing socks right now. I'm walking around my yard. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, Florida's great. That's good. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, as much fun as you've had today on the pontoon boat and stuff, like Lake Michigan and the beaches there are still better, right? <laughs> actually, you know, actually, they're not. I mean, it's it's nice. I mean, I can't complain. I just got off the boat and we, you know, had a, a blast out in the water. But nothing is like Lake Michigan. And uh, even my boyfriend's from Alabama and Georgia, and he and I would go to the Atlantic Ocean. We'd go to Myrtle Beach or Wilmington, um, I think, North Carolina. And every time we'd go, I'd say, you know, ugh, this beach is dirty. You know, I want to go back to Lake Michigan. And he would kind of roll his eyes at me and giggle. And he's like, no way. No way Lake Michigan is better than the ocean. And I'm like, just you wait and see. And um, I think it was two summers ago, we went up for a week and brought our dog and made the drive from Georgia up to Michigan. And his first sunset that he saw at Pew Marquette in Muskegon, um, I like started talking. I'm like, so what do you think? He's like, shh. I'm watching this. Like, this is amazing. And he's like, I'm talking. I'm like, I've seen this a thousand times. You know, it's, you know, it's just, there's nothing like Lake Michigan. I think it's beautiful. It's definitely nice to be able to go to the beach for, you know, nine months out of the year versus the three or four in Michigan. But it's nice. We live about half an hour from the ocean in Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's on the river and the ocean. So get kind of a little bit of both. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, I um, my father-in-law when they came to our wedding in Michigan, he was just aghast. Like he's like, I don't understand why there aren't like a hundred condos or you know hotels yeah. <laughs> out here. It's just so beautiful. And I was like, well, most of it's all protected and made into parks. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you kind of have a point. Like poor little Muskegon does struggle a little bit because everyone goes to Grand Haven or Holland, mm-hmm. but um. But it is. It's just so. There's just nothing like it. And people say when people here say, you know, oh, we're going out to the lake. I'm like, this is a puddle. This is a pond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't count if you can see the other side. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, we're definitely fortunate to have you know been able to experience that. Like I grew up right around the corner from Hoffmaster, and uh, I went camping last weekend. And uh, brought him back to, you know, being able to go to the Hoffmaster all the time and then go home at the end of the day and not actually, you know, camp. And uh, it was beautiful just to be able to walk to, the, to Lake Michigan like that. And, you know, I don't, you know, it's a half an hour drive for us and I miss that. It's beautiful. Do you guys, and you're landlocked in Canada right now. You're in Edmonton, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm on the prairie, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's a warm day there? You said today was warm. Oh, um, it'll, get, it'll get well into the 80s. I mean, Canada has like, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I was going to say we all have a unique perspective from Michigan, as you said, because, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone gets to live like that. So like our idea of a lake is like much bigger than anyone else's, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like, a lot of my friends and relatives when I first moved to Canada, they didn't understand at all on the map where I was because Canada to them is above the UP. (laughs) 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 And so it it gets pretty hot here. So, I mean, I think 
uh, I've seen a day like probably 87, 88, but mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's not humid here. Like I, I'm a masculine male supposedly, and I have to put on lotion every day cause I will just dry up and wither to death. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's a guess what they say a dry heat, which I never really lived in, but it so mm. it's it's not too bad. Yeah, that sounds great. It's uh, definitely better than the first when I first moved to Georgia. Um, I'd visited it for two days before a year before I moved there, and it was miserably hot. I visited in August for you know a short period of Oof, time, and yeah. and you know it to me it was you know the, the decision to move there was because it wasn't you know, cold Michigan, it was a change. And so when I moved there, I just figured, oh, it can't be that bad. You know, I'll get used to it. And when you live in moist climate like that, like, you're like, how do, how does my scalp sweat? This Is this possible? This <laughs> is <laughs> like, in Michigan, it's like, oh, there's a breeze. It's, you know, oh, it's hot. It's 85 degrees today. No, it's like 100 and, 105 degrees sometimes. And you're just like, oh, I'm gonna... It's like in the winter in Michigan when you, like, you can figure, okay, I'll be outside for about 20 seconds. I'm going from my car to the house, AC to AC, or, you know, heat to heat. And, uh, you know, it's the complete opposite of that in the summers here, like the Michigan winters. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I got a lot of the, you know, people here in Edmonton saying, you know, oh, are you prepared for winter? Like, I'm like, I can survive a Michigan winter. You have no idea. This will be fine. <laughs> oh, but, but you know, you know, what's funny though is um, my boyfriend makes fun of me because Georgia winters are really cold, and he's like, "You're from Michigan." I'm like, "No, it's moist cold. You don't get it. It's really hot." Or I mean, excuse me, it's really cold, and because uh, it like the moisture, the same way that it's super moist and hot. And like you know, you know, the summers are miserable. The winters, it's like bone chilling cold. Versus like, you know, Michigan, you're like, um, I can snow blow the driveway in my t-shirt because I'm building up sweat. So, <laughs> um, no, I totally agree with you because that's the same experience I've had. And a lot of people say like, uh, moist winter is like cold and it chills them to the bone. And when I was when I was here, it was like the exact opposite. I'm like, I. I can deal with, you know, 18 inches of snow a day, but like when temperatures get like in, you know, the teens Fahrenheit, I'm like, this is cold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've got this. uh, I broke my toe when I lived in Michigan and it's funny because it's like my, I I tell I tell Matt all the time. I'm like, no, you don't get it. That toe gets achy. Like it's like a throbbing pain. I'm like an 80 year old woman. Um, <laughs> at, at like 20 degrees in Michigan and like 40 degrees in Georgia. So I'm like, no, see, it proves it. 40 degrees in Georgia is just like 20 degrees in Michigan. And then he makes fun of me and tells me that I'm weak. And, and <laughs> but I swear that toe is so correct because it's cold. <laughs> but we don't have snow, so I can't really complain. Yeah, that is nice. I mean, at least you can... Yeah, you're you're driving around, you're going out and about, and you don't have to worry about you know businesses shutting down and uh, <laughs> yeah, kids on the road, people driving that first day with snow. Like that's just it's it's 
it still strikes me as weird that you can live in Michigan your entire life, and every year, the first day that it snows, you have completely forgotten how to drive. It's not just the other people. Everybody's like, oh, everybody's driving like it's their first day, but then you get in the car, and you drive five feet, your car slides, and you're like, oh, crap, that's right, snow. Yeah. I don't know, like, my my first car, I was 16, I drove a rear-wheel drive Volvo, and I'd end up in snowbanks, and they're like, well, you should learn how to drive then. You're late for school. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to drive. I'm a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you both that it's what I find kind of interesting living through some Michigan winters. Not to scoff at Canada winters for sure, but uh, <laughs> um, snow tires are the law here and in BC. So it's kind of interesting, like both the provinces. Yeah. Like it's the law that you have to have snow tires. Like you'll like chains on your tires. No chains, but just snow tires. Like oh, okay. not even not even the multi-season tires that are really popular, but you have to have snow tires. Oh, yeah, wow. they have they have to be specifically winter yep. tread tires. Yeah. Those oh, wow. do make a huge difference. I put those oh, on yeah. my little red car every year and it makes a it makes a world of difference compared to the all weather or like a regular summer road tire. Mm-hmm. It just makes a huge difference. <laughs> Reason number like three hundred and eighteen. While well, Sally's never going to move back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, but one year I um, drove back from Michigan down to Georgia, um, and my I drove back with my dad and his wife, and it was my birthday. And when I got to Georgia, I was literally there for maybe two hours, and it started snowing. And I'm like, I brought the snow with me. And it snowed <laughs> maybe four or five inches. It only stayed for a day. But the whole town shuts down, literally, and because no one, no one has shovel. And people like to poke fun at the south because they're like, "Oh God, it's snowed a few inches. Get over it, south." But you know when they when no one has shovels and like you're yeah. literally in a broom to, or like a frisbee to brush off your car, <laughs> and and then no one changes their tires like you guys do, like we would up north because you know you don't have to. You don't know that you need tread, so everyone slides everywhere, and it's. Terrible, terrible mess. And it's so funny because then I'm like, I'm homesick. I'm going to rip through the streets and go slide in. And (laughs) no one else on the road. And then the grocery store shut down. And and then everyone buys bread and milk. Like, (laughs) and drink a gallon of milk in a day. It's so funny. (laughs) I wish there were more Michigan people in the South that could laugh at it with me. But then the south, the southern people were like, "Don't make fun of us." And right? I yeah. Make fun of them to myself. Well, you're in Florida now, so they'll be coming down for winter soon. Oh yeah. Then the the snowbirds. Yeah, uh, the snowbirds will arrive. Yeah, yeah. Um, this past winter, I I I chose to do the winter market, and it's like a quarter the size of the normal market that I do on Saturdays. And there was this woman, and I'm you know I'm acclimated to the south now. My blood's thinned out a bit and there's this woman walk i'm wearing you know a jacket and a sweater and a scarf and it's you know maybe 40 degrees out but it's cold because that moist cold and there's a woman walking around in a t-shirt and shorts and she's like i'm from minnesota (laughs) it's cold here (laughs) yeah it's funny it's beautiful here I often get mistaken for being from Minnesota uh, here in Canada just because, oh, it's a state that begins with M. And I'm like, really? Thanks. It's not the same thing. Not at all. No. No. 
actually taught all my in-laws like that there was another part of Michigan. They're just used to looking at the mitten. They didn't know that the Upper Peninsula was also part of Michigan. <laughs> I was like, where do they teach you geography in this yeah. country? Or, or so, your, so your wife's Canadian. Is that what brought you to Canada? It is, in fact. Awesome. Yes. So it's I can all- be a, a sugar baby and do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been in Canada? This is year, I'm going to mess this up. This is going to be probably, I'm getting close to two and a half years. Okay, cool. So yeah, I took, uh, I moved up here uh, after we got married and stayed here for a year on my um, passport. And then I got my residency, which basically took about nine months. And so now I'm a resident. So now you're... Are you dual citizenship? So you're Canadian now, or no? I'm just How's a legal work? legal resident. I can apply okay. for citizenship in like three years. Mm. What's really interesting, I think I discussed this with Paul once before, but it was quite a while ago. Is that um, in order to get the residency, um, there's a couple of paths you can take. You know, if I was a doctor in Canada and needed doctors or something. So you can do like a career path, but I did the family sponsorship and my wife sponsored me. But what's, what I find really cool about that is if for whatever reason we have a big blowout because I'm in here doing podcasts and she's bored <laughs> um, <laughs> and we divorce, she's responsible for me so that I don't become a blight on the Canadian like social system. Like I don't use their insurance and things like that. Like if, you know, if I go to the doctor after we get divorced, then she has to pay out of pocket for it because they're not going to pay for me because she's Wow. Yeah. So So she's she's really responsible for you. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) there's like a whole Canadian prenuptial agreement. That's just here. And here is the, you know, (laughs) the country of Canada's part of this. Yeah. So I'm, she was always holding that over my head. She's like, I can't wait till I can get rid of you in two years. Because <laughs> <laughs> then she's no longer, because then if you become a citizen, then she's no longer responsible yeah, for the sponsor. Right. Huh. That's interesting. So is it harder to become a Canadian citizen than if you say she chose to come to the United States and become a citizen in the, uh, you know, and come to the United States? So is it harder to become Canadian? Than mm-hmm. to be. I think it's pretty equal. Look, when we researched it, it looked pretty equal as far as difficulty. And and as far as difficulty, as much paperwork as it was, which was quite a lot and a decent amount of change to fill out the application and stuff, um, it was way easier. If It would be way easier for her to come to the States or me to come to Canada than it would be from someone, say, like anywhere else. It's ridiculous because... Canada uh, is comprised of, I think the number is something ridiculous. Like, I want to say, I covered this on a podcast before, that's funny. Uh, (laughs) I want to say, like, it's almost probably 50 or 60% of the people in Canada right now are not natural born citizens. So, um, so I've... Along the way, I've met a lot of people who have gone through the same process for me. And like I met a guy at a party from New Zealand and he, just like in the States, it's the same in Canada. Um, After you fill out the paperwork, they retain the right to interview you. So if I wanted to become a, or before I got my residency, I was supposed to get 
interviewed and there's like only five locations you can go to. Luckily, one was in Detroit. And so I would be interviewed by Canada to see if, you know, I was worthy to come. But <laughs> they they waive that because Canada and the States have a pretty good, you know, relationship. But he mm-hmm. he's from New Zealand, so he had to get through the interview process and... Um, and also, um, you have to get a medical. So I had to go see a doctor who did my medical for me. And you have to submit that to Canada because, you know, what if I was probably dying of cancer and wanted to use their free insurance? Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> you do a medical. And this guy I was talking to at a party from New Zealand, he got a call from Canada, which was kind of funny. And they were like, hey, um, we really need to get you in for the interview because your medical is about to expire. And um, it was just kind of funny because that was their attitude, he said. But it's like he had no, you know, he had no power over that. They're the ones calling him saying, okay, time to set up the interview because he's in like some kind of a line, you know. (laughs) So he's like, okay, why are you yelling at me? I'm not the one holding up the interview process. I want to become a citizen, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, um, and he had trouble getting a driver's license and, there was a lot of uh, different issues that he had compared to me because I'm from the U.S. So um, the only reason we I chose to do it this way is I thought my um, career as a video editor uh, was a little more versatile than her teaching career. So mm-hmm. she'd have to get uh, you know whatever it is licensed, recertified, and all that. Cert- in the yeah, yeah. So and they don't pay teachers well in Michigan. So no, actually not. Very true. Decent but, benefits, though, for the most part, but terrible, terrible wages. Yeah. So I came here under that assumption. Unfortunately, all the video work is done in other provinces, but <laughs> getting there. So how, so, often, how often do you come back to the States? <clears throat> it's so expensive. Flights in Canada are ridiculous. Um, it's almost, I keep telling people, like, we could almost fly, like, out of the country to like, you know, to Hawaii. Hawaii is like way cheap because we're not too far away. Um, Hawaii and Mexico are like much cheaper flights than me to fly to to Michigan. It's crazy. So wow. I've, I've been trying to get back at least once a year. So like mm-hmm. maybe Christmas, spring break kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a flight out of Jacksonville to Iceland for like $400 round trip. It's, it's incredible, but it's like 500 to go to Michigan. <laughs> yeah, it never seems to make sense, does it? Yeah. Did you mention, uh, are you still, yeah, you're still doing your uh, Etsy page too, right? Along with yeah. your art stuff? Yeah, I've, uh, I've been slacking off the last month because I've been, uh, <laughs> this is, this is a, a much needed vacation, but I've, um, between Matt and I with both of our schedules, it's uh, work, 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 you know usually 10, 12 hour days and can't really complain because I get to do all my sewing and what I want to do. But yeah, my Etsy shop. So anyone that is going to go to my shop, don't judge the lack of <laughs> scenes, but it's, yeah, it's a shop and the Etsy shop, or if you go to Etsy and search Sally Ann K, just the letter K. Um, yeah, I've been on Etsy since 2009 and it's awesome. I love Etsy. It's, um, it's come a long way. When I first started and I first joined, there was probably only a hundred to two hundred thousand um, sellers on the on the site. Now there's 
probably well over a million and you can find anything on Etsy now and they've really streamlined the whole site and it's it's pretty great it's great because then you know it's I can literally go on there and put everything I have for sale up on there and um, I think I've sold I just looked up the other day um, to I think over 20 countries I think 20 21 countries and 30 some of the 50 states so it's pretty great Uh that's really know. cool. That's way better than our pushpin map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was some site that compiled it all, and because uh, I when I first started, I would like I had a little pushpin map. I was like, oh, I didn't. I'm in this country, in this country now. But then, yeah, I moved too much and lost track of all that. But it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it was amazing. I did the little analytics, and I you know waited for it to load, and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, map, look at this. It was very exciting. So do you have like a uh, a small following of people on Etsy that are like, you know, coming back to your store? Do you get repeat business or is it more just people are hearing about you and they're finding you just organically through searching and and things like that? You know, I I don't it because there's so many new because it's like when I first joined, when I first started Etsy, it was I was one of only, you know, a couple hundred thousand. Now because there's so many it's really easy to get lost in the searches unless you're constantly putting a new thing up, you know, every five hours and then you're on top of those searches. So I find ah, that, interesting. Um, you know, the days that I list new items or refresh listings, which, you know, you know, you have to, to renew the listing costs just as much as listing it. Um, the days that I refresh them, I get more, more visits and stuff, but my actual customers tend to be more repeat customers. Um, and I do a lot more of my sales on site now that I've been focusing on, um, everything I make. I'll I'll sell all week long and then I have a Saturday market and then what doesn't sell or, you know, my new stuff that I have left over on Sunday, Monday, I'll photograph, put on Etsy and then it's available online. So I can, my, uh, I have to use the square app, on my phone. Sure. Yeah. And they just added a feature that I can tell who's a repeat customer. So it told me the other day, I think it was about 30% of my customers were repeat customers that day, which is huge. Yeah. Um, so it's great. People, you know, will come just, they're like, I came just to buy, you know, a new headband from you or just to get this purse that I have an eye. And so it's great. It's, um, yeah, I'm super, super appreciative of everyone that's supported me over the years. And it's awesome to, like, friends of mine, like, tell me, like, oh, my mom reads your blog every day. I'm like, oh, I, I write it like no one reads it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's great. That is that is really awesome. I mean, that's part of the reason uh, why I thought you'd be good to have on, just because it's. I think it's inspiring that you seem to... I know we all put our best foot forward online, but you seem to be doing really well doing something you love. So I think that's really awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a, it was, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. That's for sure. I, um, I, many people assume that I graduated college cause Facebook didn't, doesn't give you the option to say I didn't, I didn't quite finish, but now I dropped out my, the end of my junior year and it was, you know, do I continue and, you know, get this degree that I am not going to use or do I want do I, what I really want to do? And for years it was like, did I make this terrible decision? And now it's like, 
was it, would that anthropology degree have been worth it or am I doing what I should be doing? So I'm, uh, I'm super happy that I chose what I chose to do and I wake up every day and I get to go in my little sewing room and cut up old clothes and make beautiful things and then share the process. And, and then lately I've been really excited about um, spreading just the, um, you know, sewing in general to people and motivating people to get a machine out and, you know, alter their clothes instead of buying something new and focusing on tutorials for, um, for tailoring and mending. And, um, and I competed in Jacksonville. The world's largest crowdfunding festival was in April. It's called One Spark. And the city of Jacksonville hosted this festival, and they gave out three over three hundred thousand dollars to startup companies. And uh, I was competing to open a little sewing lounge, and I wanted to be able to teach people how to sew, sell my work, host other artists, and all that. And uh, great response locally from Jacksonville. They, uh, I was on the local NPR station, and uh, that was like my little. <laughs> dream come true because I'm like dad I'm gonna be on NPR I'm like it's just Jacksonville's NPR but still yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and that festival was great and I placed 39th out of 600 projects so it wasn't you know obviously I didn't win but no you know no one was really a winner it was kind of all evenly distributed but um it was great and so Jacksonville is the rated the best city in the country to open a small business because everyone is really supportive of local things versus, you know, a lot of cities where it's like, Oh, I'm going to go to this corporate place or, you know, yeah, I right. people in Jacksonville make an effort to support local, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, the money stays locally. You know, if you spend your money with local business versus, you know, Starbucks yeah. or Walmart. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's awesome. And, uh, and then my favorite part is inspiring young girls and getting them excited about sewing. And um, I just started kind of giving back a bit and giving sewing machines to young people from people that give me their unused machines. So I'm like the middleman kind of. <laughs> so, that's, so that's really fun. That is cool. Yeah, I saw those uh, pictures online. That that's uh, it's it seems like from my uh, horrible. Uh, historic perspective that you're sort of you're doing something good because you're sort of fighting against I feel like there's that you know I don't want to get like crazy but that sort of feminist culture of like you know we're equals we're going to go to work and so now it's sort of like sewing is sort of like bad now because that's sexist or something like that you know it it seems to have Sometimes it seems to be in that corner, like don't 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 make the man force you to sew, you know. Yeah, well, no, so it's, it's good it's, to inspire it as like you know it, it is an art form. It's not something like you know that. Yeah, well, and it's funny because as soon and historically, you know, when women when you know when women started going to work, and at the same time, manufacturing became more globalized, it became cheaper to just buy stuff instead of mending it and. You know, like my mother grew up making her own clothes and her mother taught her how to sew. My mom and grandmother taught me how to sew. And so for them, it was, you know, they they kind of had, had to sew for themselves. And my mom, I grew up with my mother making my own clothes. But it came to a point, I think it was maybe in the 60s, where it was cheaper to buy versus it was more expensive to make for yourself. So that's where it got lost. And now it's, you know, 
I guess I never thought of it that it's a sexist thing for a woman to be in a sewing room. I just I think it's so enjoyable. But um, I'm always I'd rather you know sew something than go buy it. But yeah, it's like people people don't want to be bothered by mending their own pants or you know hemming something because it's too long or whatever. But it seems like it's that's so much more convenient than having to go all the way to somewhere to find something new. But. Yeah, it's you're you're right because when I grew up, I actually <laughs> um, for the longest time uh, in our house uh, we had like uh, an upstairs that was basically a converted attic, and that became my bedroom. And for whatever reason, when I was younger, like um, in grade school, I couldn't sleep up there. I, I don't know if I was sort of like frightened or what, but I would not sleep, and so. I actually had like a, a, a mattress. <laughs> we had a spare mattress, probably from my dad's like camper for hunting, in my mother's sewing room. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would sleep down there, and then the upstairs was like my bedroom, but I never slept in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do remember like my mom just had like gobs and gobs of patterns, and I, I think not too long ago you scored like a bunch of like vintage zippers somewhere. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I remember some <laughs> basket of those. Like I slept next to them. Like, wow, that's bringing back some memories. So, but yeah, my mom, I was just like, someone would say, Oh, I'm really looking for, I need this. And my mom would like open up a box and flip through some things. Oh yeah. I have a pattern for one of those. I'm like, what oh, the heck? Good. Like, yeah, she, she was like the original 3d printer. yeah it's like when when I was a kid my um when I was young my mother was a stay-at-home mom and I remember um women you know like little little ladies that mom knew would come over and she would tailor stuff for them and I remember like seeing old ladies in their underwear and slips changing and being like what is what's going on here and mom would be doing like alterations for them and you know sewing their clothes and mom made you know everyone's wedding dresses and Mom made my sister's friends prom dresses, and Mom would just whip up a pattern. She, they'd bring her a picture, and they'd be like, "This is the Roxie. This is the dress I want." And she's like, "Okay." And she'd take a bed sheet and she'd make a pattern out of it, and she'd sew it, and then she'd get the regular fabric and make a dress out of it. And so I'm like, "Well, well I can do that. Mom's awesome. I can, I can figure out how to do that." And so when I was in high school, when I was a kid, it wasn't. Now it's what's great about and it was Pinterest and social media, it's cool for girls to sew their own stuff now. And, you know, sewing's, you know, having this great comeback. But when I was a kid, it wasn't cool. (laughs) But I didn't care. I just kept doing it anyway. And I would wake up early and I'd buy, like, this really ugly flocked fabric, which is kind of like the velour on regular polyester. And I'd make a pair of pants and wear them to school. And and I was like, what are you wearing? This is (laughs) Well, you just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was interesting. Adolescence for sure when sewing wasn't cool and I was making weird, weird clothes. But it was it's it's great and then I'm super excited for young girls now because it's they can push that envelope and they can, you know, test out things like that and it's not a bad thing. And they don't you know, there's not as much fear like with girls experiments stuff like that and then even even guys learning how to sew I, I taught Matt how to sew and uh, 
so I don't have to do his alterations for him because <laughs> he wants me to change everything for him because I can. But I'm like, no, you go change that shirt. That's I got a, stuff to do. This is a mature and a very smart uh, relationship and woman we're talking to for sure. Yes. <laughs> My, um, I have a friend uh, who was also in Muskegon for a while. Now he's in New York, but his uh, he had a 57 Chevy that was his brothers but really it was his dad's and so that sort of passed down the family them fixing it up and driving it around and so when I was going to the community college uh, I would help him work on the 57 and I remember his mom's car was gone so like she was using his car and I was like, so why do you need me to drive you around? And he was like, well, my mom has my car because hers is in the garage. I'm like, you and your dad both work on cars. Why Why is the car in the garage? And he's like, he won't work on her car. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it, it's, just, it's just worth it that way. So there's no, and I was like, oh, he's like, she'll say there's some noise it's making. And he says there's not. And they'll have like a whole fight over it. He's like, it's just not worth it. So her so car she- always goes to the garage. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I like the way this works. This makes sense to me. That's funny. Yeah. The, the best is when, when Matt and I lived in Augusta, um, and we'd wake up at the same time. You know, he goes to work, and I go to my office. You know, I still start the workday the same. And, and there's a few times, uh, you know, a good two, two to three times within a one- to two-week period where he comes out with his button-up shirt, and he's like, you know – when I get out of the shower, can this long sleeve shirt be short sleeved? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the first couple times, I'm like, "Yeah, sure, I can do that." And then, like the third time, I'm talking about you. Here Sorry. he is. And uh, and about the third time, I'm like, "You know what? You're gonna learn." Nice. And so then he can sell. It's pretty I, great. I was gonna ask you about that, about how you manage your time, because uh, obviously you're your own boss. But I mean, you have the you know, blogging and the social media and obviously you have to do the work. So I was like, what, what do you do for time management? Yeah, what is, a, what is a typical day or maybe it's more like a typical week look like? Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, it's been definitely over the years I've gotten a lot better. Before it was like, oh, my office used to be in my living room. So it was <laughs> when I lived in Muskegon. So it was like Netflix and and watch the entire series of Lost in the course of a week while sewing and didn't get a whole lot done. Um, you but, are on the right podcast. <laughs> uh, I think I've watched that series probably four times all the way through while working over the last couple of years. That's great. Yeah. Um, but um, So generally I wake up in a um, pot of coffee and um, <laughs> I have I try and you know, blog or do my social media by 9.30 or so and then get to sewing and um, – I kind of have my checklist for the day. I try and focus on if you know one day it's purses and it's a purse day, and I'll you know make the start of five and then do the interiors of those and then the straps. You know, it's kind of like a little little mini assembly line, and I'll try and stick with a certain machine because I have three different machines that I use, mm-hmm. or um, you know change social media with then you know inner work marketing, and when I have my break from sewing and I'm going to you know do something on the computer i'll work in my um other little bits everything because because it's just me and you know matt matt's kind of my silent partner now with business and he'll do some of my graphics for me he'll do some video editing um and stuff here and there and keep me in line when i'm drifting into you know 
I go to my computer, I'm like, oh, I'm Facebook, oh, I need to download that new show, and next thing I know, I'm, like, organizing my fridge. <laughs> 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 because, you know, it's like when you work from home, it's it's so easy to be distracted and then add in having animals and a million things that I could be doing other than working. So it, it takes a special kind of discipline, but I've kind of narrowed it down to exactly how, what I need to do and getting pretty good coffee definitely helped i used to not drink coffee <laughs> and i don't know how i managed to even make a thing and stay on the right track but it's good now some days i'll you know be sewing till 11 o'clock at night after you know starting my day at 9 a.m some days it's you know only marketing stuff that i'll do or you know camper stuff working on uh, my boutique that i drive around town so it kind of changes never the same thing keeps it interesting that's good. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk Shelby's. Uh, she's a year old now. Yeah, she just hit a year, and it's it's funny people get so confused because technically we bought her in September of 2012, but she didn't become open to sell things until last July because we renovated it and everything. So for those that um, those listening that haven't uh, that don't know about our little awesome boutique, it's a 1973 Shasta Compact, like those little tin can campers. <laughs> and uh, and we bought her for $300 on Craigslist. Sweet. Yeah, it was nuts. So I'd spent, you know, I'd seen, there's this blogger, um, her name's Kayla. I think her blog's the Clueless Girl now. It used to be Little Chief Honeybee, anyone that reads her blog. Well, anyway, she has this little Scotty. And she has a little vintage business. So she'll do, you know, cute, kitschy little stuff. And she's in Nashville. And I'd seen hers and then um, some other girls. Actually, they're up in Winnipeg. They have a cute little one. And um, so I was like, oh, these little boutiques are awesome. You know, but these girls were all doing vintage stuff. So I thought, okay, I'm sick of the 10 by 10s that I do at craft shows. You know, the little pop-up tents with tables and all that. And... um, so we bought Shelby on Craigslist, and I searched for maybe three or four months, finding ones that were just the right size because Shelby's only 12 feet long. So she fits the requirements with all those craft shows. Sure. So perfect size, and she's six and a half feet wide, so then there's still room for the front side. And uh, so we bought her on Craigslist, drove up to Greenville, South Carolina, only saw a picture from one side of the camper, didn't see the interior, didn't know anything about it. Just drove up there, picked it up, drove it home, and it was completely rotten on the inside from water damage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the nine months of renovation. And you can see the whole process at, uh, on our blog. It's really, really funny because Matt and I wanted to murder each other many <laughs> 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 times. Because, you know, I, I grew up w- working on stuff. My parents built a house together, so I know how to use tools. Matt grew up working in sawmills with his dad. So Matt has his own way of working with tools. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm very stubborn and not nice sometimes. And he's, you know, set in his ways as well. So it was, it was a blast, but uh, our blog's uh, sallyank.com. And if you click on Shelby up at the top, uh, or I think it says our mobile boutique, you can see start to finish. We made sure I took pictures every time we did stuff. The uh, demolition to the rebuild and the inside is all hardwood on the inside and she's silver on the outside. It's beautiful. Very oh yeah, beautiful. for sure. So yeah, she's my little baby. She just turned a year and we got a little camper shaped. Did you see the cake that we got? Yes, it was Our great. Cake? Oh, it was awesome. So it was fun. We, um, 
So I'm trying to do, uh, I do the weekly market with Shelby. And then um, I really want to, um, I went to go look up the Ann Arbor Art Fair, like you mentioned earlier, because that was something that, you know, I grew up that was like such an, you know, a prestigious thing to be a part of Ann Arbor Art Fair. But their, their um, you know, application, I think it closed months ago. So maybe I'll try to do that in a couple of years. But I really want to kind of go cross country with it and, you know, uh, the farthest I've only gone is to, is back to Georgia for some shows, which was, you know, a four hour drive, but I want to do, um, you know, like a indie craft experience in Atlanta and Porter Flea out in, uh, I think it's in Alabama. There's all kinds of shows that are, you know, or even, um, Brandon Gatecraft for in Chicago, stuff like that, or travel with it because, you know, what's the point of just staying in the South? Yeah, exactly. So I, maybe, um, maybe you'll see her someday. Yeah. Get up all the way to Canada. But, uh, <laughs> um, we're planning a Denver trip soon. Some friends of ours live in Denver, and she's like, you should bring Shelby. Wow. So, I don't know. Maybe that could possibly happen in the next year or so. That's great. Cool. Yeah. I actually, um, Edmonton has this thing they call the Art Walk that I just went to last week, and um <clears throat> It's not really an art fair. It's literally art, like artists um, set up on the sidewalk mm-hmm. on a main street, and they just show their paintings. There was a few sculptures, but that was it. And um, mm-hmm. one of the church parking lots then had sort of their own little market to go along with the art walk, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they had uh, jewelry and things like that. And there was one of those uh, small uh, campers there that was like just vintage stuff. Maybe they were from Winnipeg, but she... She was saying, like, um, for her, like, she obviously it was a passion just as much as you, but um, mm. she has a lot of difficulties getting it to events because of uh, their issues of, like, safety and things like that. So it's good to mm. hear that you did the research and you've been able to take Shelby places so far. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was, I had literally never even set foot in a vintage camper when we bought Shelby. It was one of those things, you know, people people have new campers and you know, I'd seen like, you know, tons of, you know, the big stuff that people, you know, go camping in the recreational vehicles, but I didn't know anything about campers when we got it. And so now people ask me for, you know, like, Oh, I want to get this. I'm like, well, I know exactly what to tell you to do. And this, this, this. <laughs> but like even everything from getting, you know, luckily we didn't have to do new tires cause the tires were, um, were, were fine on her and, um, because the roof bore all the water damage, but, we got a you know a new tongue put on, and we drove with that camper for probably like six eight months without realizing that how dangerous it was having the original tongue on that the thing that clasps onto your car. Yeah, right. And I mean, people have died with that thing, like coming unhooked or taking your car off the road, you know, or just driving at high speeds with it. You can only go. I can only go over like I think sixty two miles per hour. I, I can't go any faster than that because otherwise it it kind of wobbles funny because of the, how short it is and, you know, high winds and you know, it, it's definitely something that you have to really consider when it's, you know, you're going cross country with it. And there's, there's a handful of, um, mobile boutiques that I follow on Instagram. Um, once it's called coast to coast vintage. And then a few other people that literally are vintage, you know, vintage boutiques like that. And they're just like Shelby, you know, maybe 15 feet long and they drive California to New York to Florida to Texas in these little campers, and it's I'm so jealous because I would pick up and go in a second if I had the had a different life. But um, it's so cool they can just pick up and drive and 
just, you know, pick stuff up along the way and they're little, you know, curators of vintage goods and, but it's, you know, I have to actually make everything. So I have to have that work week to be able to then go sell everything. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm in awe at what do you do now? Because I probably lack some of the self-control, even though I am freelance. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say that. Never mind. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so you know, I can understand that it's probably you're you're in awe of these people because they're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in in five years, I just want to be able to just I want to be a little no, a nomad and just travel. That's my goal. That's our goal for now. For um, you know, getting an airstream and maybe a modified version of Shelby and you know, expand upon that and just just drive. Well, and also, I'm a part time videographer for a local news outlet in uh, Jacksonville. So I have another part-time job and sometimes I'm like, oh, if only I could just sew from sun up to sundown. But realistically, like, you know, there's a million other things that to require to be a successful business. It's, you know, a lot of other things I have to consider and make time for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, I heard a story on um, the Canadian public radio here. Not as great as NPR, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about jobs and, and people like yourself and uh, Paul to some extent with his uh, programming knowledge and web knowledge. People with multiple interests um, and multiple jobs are better off They these days, they say, with all the sort of cutbacks and turnovers because you don't have all your eggs in one basket, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's really like a kind of a new market of workers out there, like people yeah. pursuing what they want to pursue and still doing other jobs. It, it always baffles my mind, like, how do people juggle all the time? And even even just to, like, do the social, you know, aspect of a job, like, that's a separate job in many places. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, five years ago, I, I look back at my graphic design work I did when I first started, and I giggle because I'm like, what was I doing? But, you know, you have to, you know, if you, this is the career path that I chose, you know, I have to make myself a, you know, I have to learn how to do coding and HTML, all that stuff that I still don't really know what I'm doing, and build my graphics and be a product photographer and be the face of my business. And still, you know, every Saturday, I have to be able to get along with people my age, young girls that, you know, 15, 16, or, you know, women that are, you know, my mother's age. And I have to be appealing to, you know, I have to have that, you know, I have to kind of cut out the political stuff I would, you know, say five years ago. I'm, you know, I, I have to have this, like, you know, I, I'm still, you know, the same person, but I kind of have to filter myself, and it's funny, and then yeah. at the same time, you know, be, you know, this representation of my business, and I don't know. It's good, though. I don't, I don't think that it's, it, it might seem like it's, you know, it's because it's something that most, most people aren't familiar with someone who does something like this. I think, I mean, it's, I feel like I'm so lucky that I have such an easy job that I, you know, it's a lot of time I put into it, but it's great. I mean, I get to do what I want, and I hope everyone gets to do that. You know, like I got to a point when I was starting, when I was figuring out, you know, if this was what I wanted to pursue full time. And my dad told me, he said, you know, well, you know, you should get a job that you know you make X amount of money, and you know, he really wanted me to be an optometrist. And uh, era, an, eye, an eye doctor of some sort. He's like, you know, that's you know, you get to go home at five o'clock, and then your your passion, your you know, your passion can be your hobby. And I'm like, 
why? Like, why, why can't my passion be what I do from nine to five? And, and he's like, well, you know, I, if, you know, and he, you know, we had this, you know, the conversation kind of ended there. And then about three years later, I heard him like bragging this. You know, I, I was, <laughs> he, he didn't know I was, I could hear him, but I heard him like telling our neighbor, well, Sally's got her own business. And I was like, oh my God, my dad's bragging about me. He's proud. <laughs> I'm really like, I'm, I'm now like, and you know, it doesn't matter how other people see my business. I'm like my, he thinks I'm successful. Therefore I know I'm doing what I should be doing. Yeah. And that uh, having that approval, like, you know, some people are like, oh, what, what, how are you going to expand? How are you, you know, you're not going to be like Forever 21 or, you know, Michael Kors. I'm like, I don't want to be. I want to I have means to my ends and do what I want. And I think more people need to think that way with their jobs. It's like, you know, you don't have to be the top of your field. You just have to wake up every day and be content with what you are actually doing. Yeah, people look down, I think, I think people who are, you know, super in the um, the sort of American build your own business mindset, like you have to you have to be able to expand and someday you're going to have an IPO and there's going to be, you know, a Sally Ann K on every corner uh, that people can walk into and buy these great crafted goods that now are made in China because that's the only way that it can possibly happen, right? Like people look down on this concept of a lifestyle business where really you are building a business that's large enough to support you and you're not a drain on society and you contribute to society and you don't need to make um, an extreme, you know, an obscene amount of money to do that. And you also don't have to necessarily grow your business all the time to do that either. Yeah. Well, and, and and the way I see it, the, the more successful I become, my prices will increase, not exponentially, but you know, slightly enough, you know, obviously, you know, to sustain my lifestyle, and that's that's all that I need. And uh, about a month ago, this uh, businessman came to my camper, and a lot of times the camper draws in people that you know they say, "Oh, I don't care about what you make; I just want to see the camper." And I'm like, "Thanks, but okay." And they ask, "She's pretty." I know the camper's pretty, and he's like, "You know what you need to do?" I'm like, "What do I? Please, you know, yeah, tell me, because you because you're gonna know what I should Obviously, do." Obviously, yeah. And he goes. <laughs> You need to have one of the, you need to have, you get 10 of these campers and you need to stock all of them with your stuff and they need to be up and down the coast. I'm like, that is completely against every, and I just nodded and I go, okay, thanks for these, thanks for hearing, bye bye. Right, um, right. But really, you know, it's like, I don't want, I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to go send my stuff to China or even, you know, there are companies that can have fair, fair labor, fair manufactured clothing, like, you know, American Apparel or, um, uh, there's another one. I always get my uh, uh, shop their t-shirts a lot. Um, I can't think of it at the moment, but a lot of companies that do have manufactured goods that are made fairly and with, you know, with consideration for their employees. But I just don't want to do that. You know, I'd, ideally in five years, I'll have a few people working for me, and I'll have someone else, maybe you know, maybe a couple other extra people cutting stuff out. And but I want to do the sewing. I want to be yeah. making things. I don't want to sit around and watch everyone else do it. And that's where, you know, small businesses are fine. They don't need to become these big, massive things. And I don't know. I, I like to spend my money locally and I like to be supported by the local community and people to know, Hey, that you know, I see my purses around town all the time. And it's like, I get so excited. I'm like, I made that and they're wearing it every day. And that's wonderful. And I don't, 
it changes as soon as someone else becomes the manufacturer of it and less right. spins it. Yeah, I personally, I, I, I was telling my wife, I, I said, I think I'm attracted to people like Sally Ann and other guests that we've had on the show because I'm a little bit jealous because inside of me, it took me a long time to acknowledge it. In fact, like college twice, but uh, inside of me, there's a creative and, um, but the outside of me is very much a, a worry wart and, oh, you know, this is really great business you have, but where's your retirement? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I sort of struggle with these, like, inner demons. Like, part of me wants to just, you know, do my own thing. And like like you said, like, you know, Paul pointed out as well, like, um, something that's not ever taught to us, at least in schools, is, like, sustainability. It's always mm-hmm. more, 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 you know, capitalism. Yay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're taught, we're taught to want more, not to want enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and it was, uh, I forget what anthropology professor I had, and they were talking about, you know, or it was maybe a sociology class, and they were talking about just, you know, other cultures and other, other ways of life where people, you know, that's like they're happy with what they have. It's like, you know, the sub Saharan African, African tribe, you know, 50 years ago before globalization, they were like, hey, tomorrow I know exactly what I'm going to be doing, I know what I'm doing today, and that's perfect. And I'm content with this lifestyle that I have, and I don't need to. I don't care about what everyone else is doing. I care about the love I have in my life and the things that I'm going to be doing, and that's really all that I ever really want. And you know, yeah, retirement. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do there, but um, you know, that's I, I'm I'm 29 years old, and I'm happy, and you know, I have my comfortable lifestyle. I've got you know, Matt and I very happy in Florida, and He's got a good job, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I can't, you know, wholeheartedly say, you know, I'm a independent artist without, you know, some financial backing from him because he's very helpful with that. But, um, but you know, the room? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's my silent, silent financial partner. Um, but it's, you know, it's it, it's taken a lot of hard work to figure out what exactly I want to do. But I hope that more people go towards that path and. Yeah, do things that they want to do, not what they should do. You know, like I don't, I don't know. I, I, if I was, if I had gone towards a degree in anthropology, I, maybe I would have loved it, and I wanted to be the next Lois Leakey and go to Tanzania. But I don't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it'd be completely different than what I'm doing now. And I think, you know, like if you know, like you talk about your video stuff, you know, that's awesome. You know, do what you doing freelance work. That's great. You know, people that. You know, and some people, you know, want the normal nine to five and, you know, an engineering job or whatever. But I don't know. If you have that creative side to you that you want to put something out in the world and create things, like, do it. You know, what's holding you back? What's the worst that could happen? Hey, this is Paul. Uh, you've just finished part one of our interview with Sally Ann Kay on uh, Montreal Sauce. Uh, don't forget to check out MontrealSauce.com to get the show notes, and we have lots of links to Sally Ann's uh, website and her uh, online, online store. So uh, please do go check out MontrealSauce.com, uh, SallyAnnKay.com, uh, and uh, hit the show notes for lots more fun, interesting links. Uh, once again, this is Paul for Montreal Sauce, and uh, we'll have part two of our interview with Sally Ann Kay next week. Bye. <laughs>